Kia ora koutou, ko ho, ko Ngāpui Tokuiwi, kia ora. Hi, I'm Penny. I'm trying to drop my Kiwi accent just enough to get my name out because people are having trouble with that. But I work at Optimal Workshop, which is based in Te Whanganui Atara, which is Wellington, in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So I'm the head of product and have been in various product roles over my career. And I'm here to talk about IA and product development. Now, hopefully you haven't got those letters mixed up and you think I'm going to talk about AI, um, because if I start talking about artificial intelligence, something has gone very, very wrong. So what does this talk about? Because information architecture and product development are massive topics in themselves. So the crux of it is the belief that through intentional information architecture, there's a great opportunity to improve the products and services that we work on for the people that need and use them to help us meet business goals, which kind of all sounds great. However, for some reason, getting this work prioritized can be really difficult. So what's stopping us? Product managers. And I'm a product manager by trade. And to be honest, I think we might be the problem. So um, I feel better now that I've got that out in the open, but today what I want to talk to you about is the product manager's perspective on how we can embed information architecture into the product development life cycle. So, you know, sit back and relax while I tell you about how the PM in your life is stopping you from achieving what you want to do. Uh, but hey, I'm, I'm only joking. What I will cover is uh, some of the barriers to adopting IA practice and why those barriers might be there, the opportunity we have with looking at IA earlier in the process, and then some suggested approaches on how to make this happen. Now, before I kind of jump right into this, in case you're new to IA, I don't want you sitting there the whole time going, what, what's going on? So a working definition that we use at Optimal Workshop for IA is designing the information of an environment in a way that makes sense for the people who need to navigate it. But my assumption here is that most of the people that are listening know a lot more about this field than I do, so I'm just going to jump straight into it. So sorry to bring the mood down and start with the problems, but awareness is, is kind of always the first step, and it's much easier to be able to address them if we can properly articulate them. So have you ever kind of had issues where you're trying to get work into a roadmap or a backlog, or you've tried to change and or, or evolve the development process in some way? It can be tricky, let alone when you're trying to champion something like information architecture work. And for product people, I think there's a really widespread lack of understanding around what information architecture is and how it can actually help achieve some of those higher level outcomes. Therefore, I don't think it's being considered. And if the importance isn't understood, and if people aren't comfortable discussing it, it's not going to be debated on, and it's not going to end up on that roadmap. So at the moment, because IA work isn't kind of considered um, normal inside the scope of product development, information architecture considerations can only come up maybe after something is built and we aren't seeing the change we were hoping for, we start to look at our IA toolkit and consider the larger environment that the change operates in and the way that the information is presented, but it's usually can be a bit of a begrudging last resort. 
So, you know, with all these problems, is there hope for IA, this, this little confused triangle on one knee is asking? And I'm saying, of course. And I think there are two shifts that I've noticed in the last 10 years in the product development process that can give us that hope. So firstly, product teams are getting better at understanding the importance of customer research within their work. Everyone seems to have had that light bulb moment of realizing that they are not their users or they've had an assumption invalidated. And secondly, we seem to be getting better at prioritizing and building things in a technically sustainable way upfront, since by now we've all had to deal with those larger scale ramifications of putting off the technical debt and all the costs that's associated with that. Now, hey, you could be sitting there going, not at my work, and, and I get it, I am generalizing, but in a place that is practicing good product development and management, and it's an expected part of the rhetoric when you're shaping work. So I think it's time to shine a light on information architecture and bring that in as part of the conversation too. So the opportunity that IA presents is a really compelling one. So as I personally have learned more about IA, I've discovered what you already know, which is information architecture is at the core of understanding human nature. So words, concepts, and space can all make a difference in the usability of your products and services. So words matter. They can mean different things to different groups of people. For example, efficiency to some, this word represents, you know, streamlining processes to save time and money, while to others, you could be listening to that going, hey, that's cutting corners and sacrificing quality. The same information can be interpreted into different concepts and ideas by different groups of people. And then comes, you know, spaces and places, buildings and structures. These communicate things even without words or diagrams, and these all influence our behavior. So there's a really great example of this that some of you may already know. Uh, this is a photo of Grand Central Station. And there was a case study um, of some tweets or um, whatever, whatever they're called now. And they came out of this train station and another train station in the US Penn Station. And on the surface, these two train stations are serving the same purpose. They're getting people where they need to go. They had the same issues, you know, delays, communicating changes to schedule. But the tone of the tweets from users in both of these spaces were vastly different. So in Grand Central, it was generally really positive, whereas the tweets that came out of Penn Station were overwhelmingly negative. And that's all to do with the environment that was created. People were starting to treat Grand Central as a destination above just somewhere that you caught a train. So somehow they've tapped into kind of a whole nother persona in there. Um, I was going to put up a photo of Penn Station, um, but to be honest, it actually looks pretty flash and that doesn't illustrate the point I'm trying to make. So if you can just kind of picture your, your shitty local train station instead, that would, that would be great. So the point is that space influenced the behavior of the users of that, surface, uh, that service. And it's just one example of the effect that great uh, information architecture can have. So one of the biggest light bulb moments for me was the understanding that information architecture is all around you, whether you intentionally do it or not. 
So if it's going to happen anyway, you may as well think about it from the start. So I think the analogy of a garden is perfect. So we've all seen or maybe own gardens that have just become completely overrun or had plants that even with the best intentions haven't grown. You can end up with kind of weeds choking out the very thing you were trying to grow in the first place. And this is so true of software where we often build and build and add content and more content and we get ourselves into a bit of a state. So, you know, number one, we need to weed our garden, yes. But ideally, we should also plan our garden from the start and any additions that might come in the future. So, you know, put your carrots and leeks together from the start and you'll see better growth. But don't put your corn next to your broccoli, apparently. I, I went down a bit of a, a rabbit hole on, on this topic. But the point is, intentionality in this area makes all the difference. So have a think about a, a product that you have, may have worked on or are working on and just think about, you know, is this a garden of weeds or flowers? So we know that considering information architecture early is a compelling case. So we need to understand those barriers to getting this work done and how we can overcome them. As I led with, one of those uh, barriers will probably be the person that's in charge of the backlog, so your product manager. So let's discuss how we can kind of win them round. And the second is around lack of ownership and who can be the champions of the cause within your organization. So starting with those kind of pesky product managers, many people will know this, but I just wanted to, to do a quick refresher on how we are making decisions as product people. Now, ideally, everyone in the organization should care about information architecture, but if they don't, you'll eventually get to the person who's in charge of the backlog. And we are prioritizing based on a number of things. So we're prioritizing based on slices of the customer journey, data and metrics linked to strategy. We're thinking about UX design, research, investing in engineering, platform architecture, uh, looking at what our stakeholders think, our customers, you know, our, our customer service teams. We're also trying to shield teams from senior leadership as they try to switch the focus to the shiniest new things. So there's kind of a lot going on in this space. And the somewhat ironic thing is that when I started learning more about information architecture, I saw a lot of parallels with product management as a discipline. So this idea of taking amalgamous concepts, putting structure to it, helping various different types of people understand and get value from it rings true for both disciplines, which is a good thing because I think that creates that common ground. Now, um, I'm not saying we are simple folk, but I am saying that we are usually generalists. Our expertise is in the product development process, so we will understand the fundamental uh, principles behind engineering and design and research and marketing. Um, but when we are given something new to consider, we are trying to understand how it fits in that bigger picture. Is this something to bring in or is this a distraction that we should be shielding the team from? Therefore, being able to communicate how IA fits in and specifically the language you use is really important. So sometimes I get something like this. We want to do some discovery and exploratory research, including understanding our users' ontology and taxonomy, 
After this, we plan on modeling our users' key abstractions and conce concepts. We will also complete a heuristic evaluation of key pages. And I'm just sitting there kind of nodding along, but I'm, I'm going blank. And so what I'm kind of translating this to in my head is, okay, you want to understand user problems, what words they use, and how they make sense of these concepts and make changes based on best practices. So really, it's kind of all about this framing and using generalist language in order to convey the impact of this work. So here's the kind of framework I want you to think about. And the first thing is, as we all know, always start with strategy. So familiarize yourself with the company strategy, the product strategy, and ensure that you understand where the work you're proposing would fall under that. Then move onto the story. So qualitative data here, quotes, interviews, anything with customers that illustrate some of the points that you are making. Then any data available. Maybe you have drop-off completion rates data or um, how much users use the need to use the help function. Now, I will admit, quantitative data can sometimes be really hard to come across. And uh, it's also hard to draw definite conclusions off, especially related to something that's kind of a larger IA issue. But what I will say here is, remember, that's only one part of the story. So it's okay if you can't find that perfect metric that's going to tell that story for you. And lastly, a plan with a succinct hypothesis. So with unknown areas, there is always the worry that discovery work is going to spiral out of control. So being really clear on what we hope to achieve is, is key. We want to get to a place where information architecture considerations and research are part of the regular development process. So if you can be consistent with your approach, so everyone knows what to expect and build that relationship with your PM, that will help strengthen those future cases too. So let's do a bit of an example. And um, speaking of kind of unruly gardens earlier, uh, this is Amazon in 2002. And there's a lot going on. And uh, apologies if you worked at Amazon in 2002, but um, if you did, come, come and chat with me. Uh, so if we take that framework we were talking about before, first we wanna start with that strategy. Now, we can see here, retrospectively, that at the time, they wanted to encourage uh, customers to buy more products by bundling items and offering a discount. Um, because DVDs are kind of the way of the future, they wanted to start there. Um, but I shouldn't laugh because they're, they're doing very well. Um, but hey, the point here is that the intent was around encouraging purchase of more related items. So what we want to do next is start to create the story of what the, the journey is like for, for these users. So uh, for example, there's already, this is, there's already an iteration out and this is where we could you know, do your usability testing, gather quotes like, hey, I didn't even, I didn't even see that down there. Um, I didn't even see it as an option. But this could also mean broader strokes exploratory research on this area. At this point, we might be trying to highlight to the PM that no matter how much work is done on this little section down here, it won't mean anything if it persists inside this larger mess. 
then we want to start talking data. So we might know at the moment that it happens 2% of the time or users drop off at a checkout page at a high rate. So this is us starting to pull in whatever we have to start creating this case. Then we want to move into providing the steps and approach. Now, the hypothesis shaping, I think this is something that you can do in conjunction with your product manager. So uh, I don't think you have to come up with this yourself. Um, these people are experts in this kind of thing. Bring them in on this. Now, your steps, as I've kind of put here, you know, they can include your customer interviews, your concept mapping, prototypes, A-B testing. And I know this feels like a lot more work kind of upfront to create the case but it makes it a lot easier to prioritize and get your product manager comfortable with these information architecture discussions. I think you're gonna get a really excited PM if this is kind of what you, uh, what you present to them. So just to round off this case study, um, I went into Amazon the other day and it's, it's still a pretty hectic place, but bundling remains a, a feature of theirs. They've changed the words from great buy to frequently bought together. They've added prices for transparency. They've weeded their garden a bit to create a bit more space around the feature. So who knows, maybe an information architecture got in their ear over the last uh, 21 years to ensure that those decisions were a little bit more intentional. So, hey, one can only hope. Um, also, side note, they tried to upsell me from $23 to 102 which I think is outrageous. Okay, so earlier I mentioned that apart from PMs, the other barrier that can exist for getting IA work done is lack of ownership. And the confused triangle is back to ponder that question, you know, who owns the IA? And I groan whenever I hear someone say, everyone owns it. Because as we know, if everyone owns it, then no one will own it. And I guess my answer is a bit of a cop out too, but the reality is to make IA a normal part of that product development uh, life cycle, somebody needs to champion it. And I think product managers as generalists are not the right role for this. But I think we can be a really strong advocate. I think there is a really strong case for designers, researchers, product marketing, as specialists in this area. So my suggestion is that one of these faculties uh, can own this or find those individual champions as long as someone does it. Um, but that's just an, just an opinion and always happy to debate that one. So the role of championing information architecture in this sense is about bringing awareness to it. So. The suggestions on the screen, you know, sharing examples with the company, telling a good story, getting stakeholders involved, um, those are all pretty general pieces of advice and I'd be telling you that anyway. But I think the difference with information architecture is that many people don't realise an IA problem when they see it. It's one of those things where if you get it right, no one will notice it, but if something goes wrong, and you tweak wording or, or navigation, or you, you maybe you change the structure to appeal to a different mental model, letting people know that, hey, those are all intentional IA decisions. You can make those next time ahead of time. That's starting to get people more and more comfortable with discussing it. So let's just revisit the kind of sentiment from earlier around how we can embed IA into the development life cycle. And I think there are three main takeaways that I think can help. 
So the first is understand the opportunity. IA helps us build in a way that works with humans and we are still building for humans at this point, so it's still relevant. Everything has an IA, so you may as well be intentional about it. And IA work can be an opportunity for business value too. Make sure we sing that kind of loud and clear. The next is work on that framing. Identify who your key gatekeepers are and work to understand what systems are in play. Spend time to frame it with language that will resonate most. And then lastly, champion the IA in your organization by adopting it as a faculty and becoming responsible for it. Report on IA with stories, data, tie it to company and product strategy. Don't try and fight that good fight by yourself. Help others see their part into play and the benefits that they will be able to get from this. So get in touch with me if you want to discuss this debate, or maybe you just want to actually tell me how much you love the product managers in your organization. That's always nice to hear too. Um, but otherwise, we'd always love to hear from you at Optimal Workshop. Thank you for listening. Kia ora. Thank you so much, Penny. Um, I think we've got time for one question for Penny, if someone from the audience has one. Are you okay to take a question, Penny? Yeah, sure. Okay. I look around expectantly. I think you're off the hook. There you go. Thank you. No Great. questions. Awesome. Um, keep an eye out for Penny. Um, you may find her over here uh, later on. Um, but please join me in thanking uh, Penny. Thank you very much. <laughs>